nation's capital. Here is tonight's Nations Report. Good evening and coming up in the Nations Report for today, the 7th day of April 2022. On the local scene, reports of shootout in five keys. Regionally, police say stop sharing offensive content. Internationally, World Health Organization calls for access to Mariupol. And in sports, UEFA introduces 70% squad cost rule as part of new financial regulations. These are just some of the headlines. With the details, I'm Damian Wilson. And now, here is tonight's news. On Wednesday around lunchtime, voice notes referring to a possible gang shootout in the area of Five Keys Providenciales begin to, begun to circulate and go viral on local social media. And one voice note, someone can be heard asking persons if they have relatives or family members in Five Keys to please get them out. And another voice note, gunfire can clearly be heard in the background. And the latest update from the Royal Turks and Caicos Islands Police Force, the force says that there was a reported shooting that transpired in the Five Keys area in Providenciales at around 1.15 p.m. on Wednesday, 6th of April. Apparently, a police patrol in the Five Keys area reported to the police control room that they heard shots being fired. The police reports that soon after, police patrol found a man who appeared to have suffered a gunshot wound. The police say that he was transported by police patrol to hospital where he is currently receiving treatment. Police are also reporting that during this incident and again later during the evening, it is believed that a number of shots were fired within the Five Keys area and officers from the Royal Turks and Caicos Islands Police Force are currently investigating the shooting of the man and the discharge of the firearms. Police say that following these incidents, a number of photographs have been circulating across the TCI on social media and within WhatsApp groups purporting to be related to the Turks and Caicos Islands and the incidents of shooting within five keys. The Royal Turks and Caicos Islands Police Force are advising the public that the photographs are not believed to be related to the Turks and Caicos Islands and that they should not be circulated further. We will continue to follow this story and bring you updates as they develop. Turning to more local news, the Integrity Commission of the Turks and Caicos Islands has reported that an immigration officer has been arrested by the commission with the support of the Royal Turks and Caicos Islands Police Force on corruption offenses. Information about the arrest and the investigation are very limited. However, the commission says that the officer was released on bail and has been placed on administrative leave. The commission also reported that following a criminal investigation by the Integrity Commission and a series of subsequent charges referred by the Director of Public Prosecution's Office in relation to other individuals, seven other persons have been named as co-conspirators in an ongoing criminal court case. The seven persons have been placed on administrative leave pending the outcome of the trial. Still in local news... 
Radio Turks and Caicos has sat down with an exclusive interview with Captain Dixie Smith. Smith and Captain Adrian Parker of the TCI Regiment, who recently completed various trainings at the Royal Military Academy Sandhurst and with the Bermuda Regiment in Bermuda. Captain Smith, speaking to her experience at the Royal Military Academy Sandhurst, said it was an amazing one. It was truly a tremendous experience being there at the Royal Military Academy in Sandhurst. And it was definitely a culture shock in most ways, um, not only the weather and the environment, but the actual intensity of the course. You know, it was very much taxing on your mental resilience as it did on your physical resilience, as well as your emotional resilience. It was truly a course like no other, but it was a course that ha- that, that is there, and it's a course that... It, it transforms you and it refines you and it helps you and it enables you to become the best version of you through whatever challenges or circumstances that you may face. It helps you to actually make sound decisions while you have adverse conditions. Captain Smith said that the physical experience of being at the academy is very taxing and she would do it again after a break as it does include high-intensity training. When asked what the most challenging part of the training was, Captain Smith said this. Definitely for me the physical aspect, but I can see that I got stronger in the end. Um, in the end. So I would do it again. I would definitely do it again because it was something that it was an honor and it was definitely a privilege not only to represent the Turks and Caicos Islands, not only to be the first female to do it, but also to actually have a sense of pride and achievement after having completed the course. Captain Smith said that she was tested academically and physically and she did well in each aspect. Each topic that presented itself was a new challenge that she successfully took on. And she cheekily said that the physical aspect of the training was the hardest part for her. And she did struggle a bit, noting that some of her male counterparts also struggled as well. She did say, however, that she cannot speak academically for her male counterparts, but she believes that they did well also. Speaking to the grand welcome that they received upon returning home, Captain Smith said she was shocked and a little overwhelmed by the amount of love and heartwarming welcome that they are still receiving to this day. She said that she is indeed happy by the amount of support received and it's what she calls a heroic welcome. The captain said the welcome was very emotional for her coming back home after being away from her family and friends for an extended amount of time. She said it was very needed and appreciated by all. Captain Smith said that at the start of the course, there were a lot of females, but many of them got weeded out of the program and only four females graduated in the end. We actually did. So basically, the course is breaking down into four two-week modules over the eight-week period. So they do it as Mod Alpha, Bravo, Charlie, and Delta. So Mod A, we actually had a lot of females. Mod B, the females went down. Mod C, the females went down. Mod D, I think it was only four females that graduated. Like, a lot of people left. Some people weren't successful. A lot of people came. A lot of people pushed their training to another time of the year. So 
graduating, there was only four of us. However, um, I think two of us, we were there from the beginning, me and her. So <laughs> we developed a very good relationship. I don't know if she's going to hear this, but shout out to you, Captain Colton. Um, you know, it, it, it was a good time. And we did develop a good relationship um, with the other international cadet, Mr. Shaw from the Maldives, as well as uh, the UK cadets as well. Joining in that interview was also Captain Adrian Parker, who also returned from recent training in Bermuda. Captain Parker said that he went to train in Bermuda with Captain Glinton on a junior officer technical awareness training for two weeks. He said that the training gave him an opportunity to build relationships with regiments abroad. He mentioned that the course taught him about strategic planning and operations. Speaking to the duties of the regiment it, as it regards to disaster management and in the event of a hurricane, Captain Parker said this. Many might not know, but with the TCI regiment being a, a new entity and a new body focused on focusing on uh, humanitarian and disaster relief, um, one of the things that we were tasked with, with the governor as soon as we, we came back was, as soon as me and uh, Captain Glitton came back from um Sandhurst in, in 2020 uh, was creating a contingency plan uh, with key uh, amongst key stakeholders in, in the Turks and Caicos Islands so that we could respond to, to, to certain situations um, almost immediately and until we get uh, further, further permanent support. So this is, with us doing that, um, that training in, in Bermuda, we are now more open and, and looking more deeper into those those con contingency plans that we already uh, put together and just adding in more new bits that we probably would have missed out or or probably didn't didn't think of. Captain Adrian Parker of the TCI Regiment. Captain Parker said that he can see himself staying in the regiment until retirement. He will continue to encourage persons to join the regiment as it is a place that feels like home for him. He said that the Army is a place where you can choose a profession and stick with it. He went on to say that in terms of border protection and disaster management, the Army is a step in the right direction. Captain Smith said that she started off her Army training from a young age, being in Brownies, cadets, and then in the British Army Reserves uh, while she attended university in the UK for three years. She said also assist, she also assisted in the cadets as an Army instructor when she came back from obtaining her bachelor's degree and then her master's degree in the UK. She said, therefore, she holds the same sentiment as Captain Parker as she holds a sense of pride and dignity and belonging that she feels when she is serving her country in the Army. She went on to say that she feels very passionately about the regiment and nothing will stop her from serving her nation. We'll be right back with more local news after this brief break. And continuing on in local news, the Queen's Baton has arrived in the Turks and Caicos Islands. That's right, the Baton arrived yesterday, 6th of April at 11.45 a.m. via Inter-Caribbean Airways. A ceremony, a welcoming ceremony was held at the VIP Lounge. The General Secretary of the Commonwealth Games Association 
Miss Rosalie Ing, Miss Rosalie Hall, sorry, gave her remarks at the welcoming ceremony. The journey of the Birmingham 2022 Queen's Baton started on the 7th of October 2021 and will travel across 72 countries, according to Miss Hall. Ms. Hall said that the message that accompanies the Queen's baton will be read at the opening ceremony of the Commonwealth Games 2022. She said it is intended that the journey of the baton will inspire hope, solidarity and collaboration as it connects communities and nations and shares influential stories throughout those nations. The president, uh, the president of the Commonwealth Games Association, Mr. Godfrey Bain, also gave his remarks at the opening ceremony. He said that he was delighted by the ceremony and that the baton is now in the Turks and Caicos Islands. He hopes that we have the best welcome out of all the Commonwealth nations. He said due to the pandemic, he was not sure if the baton would be received by the TCI. However, he is delighted that despite COVID-19 regulations, we were able to receive the baton. He said that the District Commissioner for North and Middle Caicos have an exciting or had an exciting array of events planned for receiving the baton, the Queen's baton. Stay tuned to Radio Turks and Caicos as we will continue to deliver updates to you on the Queen's baton relay and a special broadcast tomorrow afternoon at 4 p.m. live right here in Grand Turk with the closing ceremony of the baton relay. His Excellency the Governor Nigel Dakin was also present at the ceremony. have to make a slight correction here. The ceremony actually took place at the Chashire Hall Plantation in Providenciales and not the airport lounge. When the Queen's baton arrived and he gave his remarks, Governor Dakin mentioned that the baton had an epic journey traveling from Cyprus to Malta to the many different countries in Africa, then on to South Asia and the Far East traveling to Australia and New Zealand and now here in the Caribbean. He said that through all the places that the Baton has been, it couldn't have been anywhere more peaceful than here in the beautiful by nature Turks and Caicos Islands. He stated proudly that as the Baton moves throughout the islands, we are connected to a journey of more than 90,000 miles as the Baton has moved twice around the world. The Queen's Baton was earlier today in North Caicos, and we will bring you more about that in tomorrow's newscast. The Baton should be traveling back to Providenciales. This brings us to the end of local news. Stay tuned. Up next is news from the region. Moving on to news out of the Cayman Islands. After video and photos surfaced online of the scene of Sunday's fatal accident that killed a father and his infant daughter, police have called on the public to stop sharing the offensive content. The Royal Turks, that's the Royal Caymanian Islands Police Service, have been noticing a disturbing increase in the posting and sharing of inappropriate, offensive, and disturbing content across social media platforms, according to the acting superintendent, Brad Ebanks.
He added that this culture of racing to see who can share the most shocking content first demonstrates not only a lack of foresight, but a complete disregard for the substantial impact this has on families who are already dealing with immense suffering and often life-altering circumstances. Noting that K-Man is a small community, he added that no one in, is naive enough to believe the content shared is not going to get back to the affected families. He urges persons to stop and think before you post. In situations like these, one should be thinking of what you can do to help instead. This is the Carib Update News Service. I'm Wendy Chateau reporting. Another COVID spike in Barbados. This is the big story we're tracking this hour on Newsbreak for Thursday, April 7, 2022. Details of this and more straight ahead. Now for the details. Barbados is again experiencing a spike in cases of COVID-19. On Monday, the country recorded 432 new infections from 1,715 samples. 72 people are in isolation facilities, while 1,826 are in home isolation. Dr. Anton Best, the country's acting chief medical officer, said hospitalizations have also increased significantly. He said over the last eight days, approximately 2,000 infections had been recorded, and the reproductive number is 1.5 which simply means that one infected case can lead to 1.5 cases or two persons who are infected can lead to three. So it is growing. The positivity rate over the last seven days is 22%, while the daily average number of new cases is 245. Cayman has also reported an increase in COVID-19 cases. The Pan-American Health Organization, PAHO, on Wednesday warned countries in the Americas, including the Caribbean, to remain vigilant and urgently close vaccination gaps as cases of COVID-19 surge in Europe and East Asia due to the Omicron BA2 variant. PAHO Director Dr. Carissa Etienne said while COVID-19 cases and deaths have declined across much of the region, countries have reported more than 620,000 new cases each week. In parts of North America and the Caribbean, where Omicron is becoming the predominant variant, new infections are beginning to rise. Dr. Etienne said Omicron BA2 is already detected in 80.7% of sequences reported from South America. She cautioned that the infection in Europe can spread to the region within weeks in light of the increase in tourism, travel and the relaxation of public health measures. This is Newsbreak from the Carib Update News Service. In more news, a meeting of CARICOM leaders Wednesday ended without any clear position on who the group will support for Secretary General of the Commonwealth Organization. Wednesday's hours-long emergency talks were called after Jamaica's surprise announcement last Friday that it was nominating Foreign Affairs and Foreign Trade Minister Senator Kamala Johnson-Smith for the post currently occupied by a CARICOM nominee. A subcommittee of select countries has been tasked to meet with incumbent Baroness Patricia Scotland and Johnson-Smith, whom Kingston has insisted will not be withdrawn. 
Antigua and Barbuda's Prime Minister criticized Jamaica's move, labeling it a monumental error, saying it risks dividing the regional group that gave overwhelming support for Scotland to get a second term. The current rotation of the top post is for the Caribbean. Scotland, whose extended first term will end in June, has been marred in controversy over her governance of the Commonwealth Secretariat. A carnival-like celebration erupted in Port of Spain Wednesday as beloved soca star Dexter Black's Stewart was laid to rest. Accompanied by music trucks, his family, friends and fans took to the streets following the hearse bearing his body while singing along to his popular soca hits. His funeral began around 10 a.m. at the grandstand of the Queen's Park Savannah in Port of Spain. Scores of people, some donating T-shirts bearing an image of blacks, came out to bid their final farewell to the man behind popular soca tracks such as Hulk, Lego, Tanti Woi and Rankin Thing. Blacks, dubbed the people's champion and known for his infectious soca songs, died on March 28th as a result of COVID-19 complications. Aaron Voice St. Louis delivered an emotional tribute to a man he described as a mentor. During his performance, St. Louis said he was still struggling to cope with Blacks' death. Other colleagues Blacks once shared the stage with also paid a tribute in song. Many of them, including Destra Garcia, Austin Super Blue Lions, the Grenadian Vaughan and St. Lucia's Tedison John, opted for more somber selections. Terry Lyons also did a moving rendition of Take Me to the King. This has been another edition of Newsbreak from the Carib Update News Service, the Caribbean's newsroom. I am Wendy Chateau reporting. This brings us to the end of news from the region. Stay tuned. Up next is news on the international scene. And the World Health Organization on Thursday called for humanitarian access to Ukraine's besieged city of Mariupol and said over 90 attacks of health services had been confirmed in the war. Speaking at a press conference in Lviv, WHO Regional Director for Europe, Hans Klug, lamented that while health assistance had reached many affected areas, some were out of reach. Klug told reporters that it's true some remain very difficult and a priority that we all agree would be Mariupol. Located in a strategic southeastern spot between Russia-occupied Crimea and pro-Russian separatist regions in Ukraine's east, Mariupol has been the scene of some of the fiercest assaults by Moscow's forces. Residents have spoken of other devastation and dire consequences. The city's population has shrunk from 400 100,000 before the conflict to 120,000 today. Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky on Wednesday accused Russia of blocking humanitarian access to the city to hide evidence of thousands of people being killed there.
Kludge, at the same time, noted that the WHO had delivered over 185 tons of medical supplies to the hardest-hit areas of the country, reaching half a million people. And turning to some exciting news out of the United States history has been made. The Senate is expected to confirm Supreme Court nominee Katanji Jackson Brown on Thursday, securing her place as the first black woman on the high court and giving President Joe Biden a bipartisan endorsement for his historic pick. Since writing this report, we have gotten information that the Senate has voted 53 to 47 in favor of Judge Katanji Brown Jackson. Three Republican senators have said that they will cross the line to support Katanji Brown Jackson, who would replace Justice Stephen Breyer when he retires in the summer. While the vote will be far from the overwhelming bipartisan confirmations for Breyer and other justices in decades past, it has still been a significant bipartisan accomplishment for Joe Biden in the narrow 50-50 Senate after GOP senators aggressively worked to paint Jackson as too liberal and soft on crime. Senator that Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer, as he announced Thursday's vote late Wednesday evening, said that it will be a joyous day, a joyous day for the Senate, joyous for the Supreme Court, and joyous for America. Jackson, a 51-year-old federal appeals court judge, would have been just the third, or rather will be just the third, black justice after Thurgood Marshall and Clarence Thomas and the sixth woman. She would join two other women, Sonia Sotomayor and Elena Kagan, on the liberal side of a 6-3 conservative court, with Justice Amy Coney Barrett sitting at the other end of the bench. Four of the nine justices would be women for the first time in history after a bruising hearing in which Republicans on the Senate Judiciary Committee aggressively interrogated Jackson on her sentencing racket. Three GOP senators came out and said they would support her. The statement from Maine's Senate Senator Susan Collins, Alaska Senator Lisa Marikowski, and Utah Senator Mitt Romney all said the same thing. They might not always agree with Jackson, but they found her to be an enormously well-qualified judge for the job. Collins and Markowski both decried the increasingly partisan confirmation process, while Collins called broken and Markowski called corrosive and more detached from reality year by year. Biden, a veteran of a more bipartisan Senate, said from the beginning that he wanted support from both parties for his history-making nominee, and he invited Republicans to the White House as he made his decision. It was an attempted reset from three brutal Supreme Court battles during President Donald Trump's presidency when Democrats voraciously opposed the nominees and from the end of President Barack Obama's run when Republicans blocked Supreme Court nominee Merrick Garland from getting a vote. Before the Senate Judiciary Committee last month, Jackson said her life was shaped by her parents' experiences with racial segregation and civil rights laws that were enacted a decade before she was born. Stay tuned to Radio Turks and Caicos. Up next is sports.
And welcome to our sports segment. And of course, UEFA has brought in new financial regulations which will limit club spending on wages, transfers, and agents' fees to 70% of their revenue. Now, these new rules have been long awaited. Permitted losses over a three-year period have also risen from 30 million euros, which is roughly about 24.9, that's 98 million uh, pounds to 60 million euros, which is roughly 49.96 pounds. The new rules will come into force in June and clubs will have three years to implement them. UEFA said that breaches will result in predefined financial penalties and sporting measures. It is thought new reinforced punishments, including points deductions, demotion to lower ranking competitions, and potentially exclusion from European football completely will be introduced as part of the new regulations. Clubs are expected to be allowed to spend 90% of their income in 2023 to 2024, reducing to 80% in 2024-2025 and 70% a year later. The new financial sustainability regulation have been put together by UEFA and the influential European Clubs Association, the ECA, and are the first major reform of the financial fair play, the FFP rules introduced in 2010. Alexander Sheffron, president of European football's governing body, said that UEFA's first financial regulations introduced in 2010 served its primary purpose. He continued saying that they helped pull European football finances back from the brink and and revolutionized how European football clubs are run. However, the evolution of the football industry alongside the inevitable financial effects of the pandemic has shown the need for wholesale reform and new financial sustainability regulations. These new regulations will help to protect the game and prepare it for any potential future shock while encouraging rational investments and building a more sustainable future for the game. In a statement, UEFA added that while the acceptable deviation has increased from 30 million euros over three years to 6 million euros over three years requirements to ensure the fair value of transactions to improve the club's balance sheet and to reduce debts have been significantly strengthened. The biggest innovation in the new regulations will be the introduction of a squad cost rule to bring better cost control in relation to player wages and transfer costs. The regulation limits spendings on wages, transfers, and and agent fees to 70% of the club's revenue. This brings us to the end of sports. It also brings us to the end of our newscast for today. Stay tuned for a look at the headlines. And looking back at the headlines for today, the 7th day of April 2022. On the local scene, reports of shootout in five keys. Regionally, police in Cayman say stop sharing offensive content. Internationally, WHO calls for access to Mariupol. And in sports, UEFA introduces 70% squad cost rule as part of new financial regulations. Thank you for joining us for today's newscast for the RTC News and Production Team. I'm Damien Wilson saying have yourselves a wonderful evening. And of course, join us tomorrow when we will have 
more news for you guys. And remember that special ceremony of the that special coverage of the closing ceremony of the Queen's Baton Relay right here from the nation's capital in Grand Turk at 4 p.m. tomorrow afternoon. And remember, we will also give you updates on the Baton. You guys have a great Thursday. And remember as well, today is World Health Day. And just in case you didn't know, the Minister of Health has issued a statement in relation to World Health Day. And we will bring you that statement right after this newscast. Join us again tomorrow evening at 6 p.m. for another edition of The Nation's Report.